You're listening to Inside the Village, where all news is local and no topic is off limits. So help me, Bob, it's bully in the alley. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Village, brought to you by Mitch Snedden at Reverse Mortgage Pros for guides, articles, and info. Go to reversemortgagetruth.ca for the week of March 7th, 2023, with Michael Friscalanti, Editor-in-Chief here at Village Media. I'm Scott Sexsmith. That sounds authoritative. Editor-in-Chief. I'm still captivated by your intros. I just listen and, wow, that guy's good at it. I'm captivated by your presence. <laughs> now I know you're lying. There's a shovel in here somewhere that (laughs) could be digging some stuff. Uh, We're back for another week. Uh, Lots of great stuff uh, to cover today. Going to have an interesting conversation uh, regarding a new survey that has come out that basically says, according to young Canadians, we're doomed. We're doomed. It was a depressing headline. We had had to talk about that one on the show for sure. All right. Before we uh, get to that uh, interview, uh, let's talk about a couple of uh, headlines that have uh, crossed our desk uh, in the last seven days. Uh, A few weeks back, we had uh, prominent uh, Toronto criminal defense attorney Alison Craig on talking about bail reform, and bail reform is now back in the news. Yeah, the federal justice minister has been listening to the provinces who want some immediate action done on this, Uh, obviously in the wake of the OPP officer who was killed allegedly by someone who was out on bail. Um, It's been something they've they've been asking. Asking for apparently on Friday, the justice minister is going to meet with his provincial counterparts to talk about bail reform. As we talked about in that episode, that's a very difficult thing to get your head around, right? Because a lot of people are saying we can't release anybody if you're charged with a serious crime. You should be staying in jail even for years till till a trial happens. But the bail system is really a juggle, right? It's really trying to balance like the idea of is this person going to should this person stay in jail this long awaiting trial what are the circumstances of the case what are the chances they're going to be convicted there's a lot at play here i think because obviously the the average person doesn't spend a lot of time in bail court and understand sort of the, the, all the things at play here so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that meeting i'll be watching it close and a big shout out to allison who we think is still in halifax yeah because <laughs> uh, she was headed for three months of uh, lobster yeah. uh, and of course a trial that uh, that she was working on so uh, hi to her <laughs> uh, a few weeks back uh, we had uh, digital expert uh, Sai Huda on to talk about ransomware. Of course, in Sault Ste. Marie, the school board, one of the school boards uh, went through a situation uh, where some information uh, was uh, obtained illegally. Now, Chapters Indigo just went through the same thing, but they had a very unique response. Yeah, I love this story. They, they won't pay the ransom. They said they, yep. were, they were slapped with the ransom demand and they won't pay it. As far as they understand, it was no customer information was taken. It was just employee information. And they've decided that they don't want to be part of helping a criminal organization or a terrorist organization or whoever it is, this group that's demanding this money. And they're saying, we're not going to pay. So they're basically taking their chances. I guess they're telling their employees, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get you credit monitoring and make sure everything's uh, as good as it can be. But they're not going to pay. So in a way, I think it's gutsy, right? Because you don't really see a lot of organizations, including the school board up here, they were pretty right. quiet about what happened. And they're not giving a lot of details, but basically Indigo's saying, we're not going to pay. And wasn't that size advice, if I recall, didn't he say in that situation, you, you shouldn't pay? You shouldn't pay. That's right. I think what's different about this is you rarely hear the, the company or the organization come out and say what they did, right? In the earlier years ago, when this first started happening, we did hear organizations, universities, for example, say they did pay, right? Um, but I think, yeah, the, this is the advice they're getting. I I think in each case, they have to sort of assess what's the damage, right? I mean, yeah. if every customer who ever bought anything at Indigo, their data was captured, maybe they would have thought differently. Who knows? But I think they're able to keep this in-house and then hopefully take care of their employees as best they can. And they're saying, we're not going to pay. I mean, I, I think it's 
it's good because you know we don't. I don't think we want to be paying these guys. No. Uh, Sue, today reporter uh, Ken Armstrong recently reporting on the uh, rising costs of obtaining ambulances. Yeah, this is a good story. Uh, Ken Armstrong's story has been published in different outlets across the chain as well. Basically, he's you know going to a DSAP meeting and seeing the, uh, the information come out that ambulance costs are, are really rising. Part of it's because some companies have merged, and so. Every community across the province, including in our markets, they're going to see that the rising cost of ambulances if they need to buy new ones for the hospital. So it's an interesting read to dig in a little deeper beyond the the, the daily stuff. So it's definitely something you want to check out. And finally, uh, Frisco, just a tragic uh, story uh, covered and written uh, so eloquently by uh, our very own uh, Nikki Cole on the uh tragic death of a framer who was working in the uh, Blue Mountain area. Yeah, you know, I talk about this a lot, Scott, but, you know, in local news, we cover the stories in our community. And sometimes that means covering really tragic, heartbreaking stories in our community. And this is one of those examples in the Blue Mountains where a young man was part of a framing crew, suffered a serious injury uh, and passed away. Uh, I was in the hospital for a few days before he passed away. And, uh, you know, Nikki Cole reached out to the family and they spoke to her. And really in these types of challenging times, you want to tell the story of the person who they were. And she did a lovely job. And, uh, you know, it was one of those stories that brought, brought a tear to my eye when I read it and I sent yeah. her a note because this guy was just a fantastic person, uh, young father. They just had a child, uh, recently married. And, um, you know, in, in a story like this, all you can really do is tell the community who this wonderful person was and, and what the family's going through. And, and I, I think that she did a great job of doing that. And, you know, that is part of our job as local journalists to cover these kind of stories. Uh, and the, the, our goal is to do it well, to do it properly. And she did just that. Um, and beautiful picture of the family. Yeah, um, definitely. Our hearts definitely go out to that family. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a break and uh, come back with uh, Dr. Ellen Field. She is the Assistant Professor of Education at the Aurelia campus of Lakehead University. We're going to talk doom and gloom. It's next when Inside the Village returns. Are you over 55 and considering a reverse mortgage? Receive the free guide that shows you how reverse mortgages really work. Reverse Mortgage Pros, providing trustworthy advice to help you make the right decision. To learn more, visit reversemortgagetruth.ca. Welcome back to Inside the Village, brought to you by Mitch Snedden at Reverse Mortgage Pros. For guides, articles, and information, go to reversemortgagetruth.ca. With Village Media's Editor-in-Chief Michael Friscalanti, I'm Scott Sexsmith, joined on the line today by Dr. Ellen Field, the uh, Associate Professor of Education at the Aurelia Campus of Lakehead University. Dr. Field, welcome to Inside the Village. It's uh, great to have you. Thank you for having me. We uh, we read an awful lot of headlines, uh, as you can imagine, uh, in this uh, business. And when you read one that says many young Canadi- Canadians think we're doomed, it uh, it raises an eyebrow or two. Can can you tell us what motivated you to do the uh, recent research that you did? Sure. So in uh, 2021, there was an important and influential study that was published on rates of um, climate emotions that young people experience around the world. Uh, There was over 10 countries included and 10,000 young people, and Canada was not included in that data. And so my co-investigator, Lindsay Galway, who's the Canadian Research Chair of Socioecological Health, um, we decided that we needed to run that data, that survey, in order to collect it for Canada so that we can also monitor change going forward, um, recognizing 
um, from our own experiences, the high levels of climate anxiety that we had experienced among young people that we work with. How did your findings compare to that research? So uh, similar, the Canadian findings um, relate to other countries that in general have high greenhouse gas emissions, also um, have like uh, it's very similar findings to the U.S. and Australia, um, where they also have a complex settler colonial relationships and um, climate policy that you may want. Uh, most people would want to be more ambitious or young people in many ways will want it to be stronger. So if you're just looking at some of the numbers, right, I mean, ha- nearly half uh, believe that humanity is doomed. Seventy three percent think that the future is frightening. Seventy-six percent think that people have failed to take care of the planet. I mean, that's those are pretty shocking when, yeah. you, read, when you read it like that. Is that how you guys felt when you got the numbers back? Um, you know, I am a researcher in this field, and I am a teacher educator. Um, I teach environmental education and climate change education, and I do a lot of workshops with teachers. And it's not shocking in terms of the types of things that teachers are saying around that their that their students um, are experiencing and not just beyond um, climate anxiety in terms of in general declining mental health among young people. So there was a recent um, research study that came out from people for education that also identified the increasing declining mental health of young people coming out of COVID-19 and also the reduction in supports in schools for mental health. So uh, I think there's a number of factors here. That other study, though, didn't consider climate anxiety in terms of the experience um, that is one of the contributing factors to the declining mental health of young people. Yeah, I was wondering that to bring you into the bigger picture with the the mental health picture as well. It it paints a, a a very dire picture in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it makes me scared. I mean, I have children, not quite 16 yet, but they're younger. And, and it worries me that that young people are so down on the, the future. Yes, it, for sure. And it, it, it begs the question and how our research is different from that large international study is we wanted to know from the young people who were identifying, the respondents who identified these difficult climate emotions, what help would they like? Um, and so we asked a question around, you know, in schools, what mental health supports would be helpful or in general, like what are some of the supports that would be good for them? Um, and some of the, I mean, I think this is an emerging area, uh, in general teachers, when we think about schools, um, PD generally goes to numeracy and literacy. There's some PD on social emotional, does it go to climate change education and the social emotional dimensions of that? I haven't heard of it in Canada yet. And so this is a, a space where I think we can have some intervention in terms of helping teachers develop some of these skills and strategies, as well as potentially other spaces um, that youth might need that aren't in classrooms. Because sometimes, um, often young people aren't uh, comfortable necessarily to share their you know, negative feelings in a classroom, they might need a, a, a different kind of space. Uh, doctor, I'm I'm curious, uh, do, you, do you feel these results have always been there? I mean, you mentioned COVID-19. Do you think that COVID and the situation that everybody has, has gone through, has that brought this more to the forefront now that, that, that younger people are, are through it for the most part? Has that really shone the light on things? I, I see them as 
Um, I think COVID-19 definitely, I mean, it impacted all of us and um, it definitely impacted young people who are at a time of, of important socialization and identity development. Um, climate anxiety and the, the ways that come understanding both the risk and uncertainty of what the climate crisis poses and also not having faith that uh, government is going to be addressing it properly is uh, a real cocktail to sort of work through um, in order to have a hopeful orientation about your future. So I think there's many factors which are playing into declining mental health and the economy is one as well um, in terms of the generation squeeze that young people are experiencing. Again, I wonder if that's all part of it as well, right? These are the same generation of people are wondering if they're ever going to be able to afford to buy a house one day. Right. If they're going to be able to – some of them are even saying in your survey they're not going to have children because they're so concerned. That all plays into it too, right, doctor? It does. And I think one of the important pieces is that when young people see adults in their community taking action, um, that has amplifying effects. And so part of what we know is when – Young people see adult actors acting and taking action on a situation that, like climate change, that helps them build societal trust. And so this, this, the fact that we see such high levels of betrayal um, that young people identify feeling that they're not protected um, and they have a sense of betrayal is concerning because then they don't feel cared for. And, and that's what we need to to make sure that young people feel cared for um, so that they aren't also having this feeling of isolation and not a hopeful future orientation. Mm -hmm. And I think, I guess the silver lining in the research is you see some numbers that 71% of respondents believe that together we can do something. And half of these young Canadians believe that they can contribute in some way. Does that give you some hope? Absolutely. And I mean, I think also we we hear it often around young climate activists and the skills and capacities of these young people and the vision that they have. And I mean, not all young people are climate activists. Um, the kinds of work that are are coming forward from many climate leaders is amazing. I get to work with many different youth groups that do this type of work. Um, and I think there's in the paper, we talk about the importance of adult adult allyship in terms of adults taking action, taking leadership, not passing this on to young people as a, a burden that they have to carry in isolation, but also finding ways that we can include them in participatory ways. And so things like youth councils um, uh, for city governance and doing that in a true participatory way that doesn't sort of do it in a tokenistic way, but actually includes them in decision making and policy making because their voice is so important in the, in these policy decisions that will affect their entire quality of life in the future. And if you look around the world um, at youth plaintive cases where young people have taken countries or cities to court, uh, in general, they win based on the intergenerational injustice on a human rights basis. And so that legal precedent is growing and it's increasingly it's increasing that young people don't have to take their city or their or their province or their country to court and and that they're included in the policy making and so that we do get strong climate policy that safeguards our future. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctor, you mentioned uh, young activists and, and certainly where climate change around the world is concerned, uh, no greater activist than uh, Greta Thunberg. Um, 
is is she looked upon as as the one that can you know help get us out of this mess? Uh, not just by young people, but by all of us. I mean, Greta's actions um, were amazing and created an entire movement. I think that movement was already developing. And Greta herself says, you know, don't just focus on me, focus on all of the climate activists around the world, because it is a collective and they see them, they see that work as collective based. And um, I think those spaces are very important for young people, especially those who are feeling you know, a lot of the negative climate emotions, those third spaces can help them get connected to like-minded others, get connected to community members, and um, not always do just protest, but also be engaged in um, policymaking um, and actions in their community. Professor, how do you hope policymakers see these headlines or read this study? What do you hope a politician takes out of this? I hope they take a moment and consider uh, their own policy record and uh, really consider, you know, what their term is and what kind of change they can make to ensure that they are taking every action to safeguard young people's futures. Is there anything uh, that we didn't ask you uh, either about the survey or or climate change in general that you wanted to cover today, doctor? Um, Just that I, I think we have, we are an incredible moment in time. Uh, history is being made. And uh, I think we're all very tired from the pandemic. And it's really important that we take the time to rest ourselves still, but also take action in the spaces we can and not just, you know, zone out on Netflix and, and sort of kick things down the road further because it all matters leading up to 2030. And we are increasingly getting close to that those windows of opportunity to create these changes. Well said and some, uh, some great advice, uh, Dr. Ellen Field, Associate Professor of Education at the Aurelia Campus of Lakehead University. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks so much. Take care. Reporters, editors, and journalists who go the extra mile to get the story and get it right. Go behind the scenes with those who cover the stories that matter most to you and your community. Look for it in the Village Features section of your favourite Village Media website across Ontario. Back to wrap on Inside the Village, brought to you by Mitch Snedden at Reverse Mortgage Pros. For guides, articles, and information, go to reversemortgagetruth.ca. While you're online, by the way, flip us an email, itv at villagemedia.ca. Seriously, f- flip us an email. <laughs> this guy is checking the email every hour on the hour. Please, could somebody write him? He will write you back. I, I, you know what? Derek will write you back. Frisco, one of us will. No, Scott. Der- Scott will write you back. I, I probably, mean, yeah. tr- truthfully, it's likely going to be me. But you know, and speaking of Scott, did you notice that Scott LG said nothing to us about how we pumped <laughs> him up on the podcast? So he clearly did not listen last week. No, or he go did to not. The end. I don't think anybody even said anything to him. I'm starting to wonder if anyone in the office is listening. Well, I think the they were afraid to mention to, to Scott that. That he yeah. was a, a subject, yeah. you know, on on the show. Like I don't think anyone has ever praised that guy more than we did that last week, and nothing crickets. All right, that does it for uh, Inside the Village for this week. Uh, don't forget back episodes at uh, InsideTheVillage.ca, across the Village Media Network, and wherever you get your favorite podcast: Spotify, Apple, Amazon, 
Google, uh, you name it, uh, you'll find us. Uh, Derek Turner will also be back uh, next week. Executive producer of the show, Michael Friscalanti, editor-in-chief, and I'm Scott Sexman. Thanks for watching and listening. Talk to you next Wednesday. You've been listening to Inside the Village. Fresco and Scott's wardrobe provided in part by Moore's Sault Ste. Marie.